We are in verse 7, but let's read down because it gives us context. Chapter 20 says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive, notice that, that he should deceive the nations no more than an important word, until, strange idea, that he should deceive the nations no more until the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. We're going to look at that this morning. And I saw thrones, they that sat upon them, judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and notice and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. And the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. If the Lord tarries, we'll look at that next year, next week. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death had no power. And they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, this is where we are. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breath of the earth, and they compassed the camp of the saints about, and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire, and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet, notice, are, not were, and shall be tormented day and night forever and forever. So we come to this strange portion of scripture that tells us that Satan had been bound for a thousand years and then he was loosed again. You know, and I'm thinking... What's the point? Once you get him in there, throw the key away. Why let him out again? You know, what's the deal? Going for a thousand years, then he gets out. That's a bummer. But what we come to here is probably the greatest commentary anywhere in Scripture relative to the sinful heart of mankind. Because Jesus, for a thousand years, has produced the ideal and perfect and most gracious environment that the world has ever seen. There's no crime, there's no war, there's no hatred, no prejudice, there's no, you know, abuse in a home. There's none of that. All of that's gone. And the presence of Christ is real on the earth. 
And the enemy is bound. He's not there to lie or deceive. And yet, when he's loosed, he leads a multitude of people against Christ and against Jerusalem. Now look, that proves the condition of man's heart. Because mankind loves to blame their environment. I was raised in an abusive home. I was raised with an alcoholic father. I was this, I was that, or we were poor, or I you know, had this going on in my life, or there was hatred, there was prejudice, there was injustice, there was war, there was disease. My kid died when they were little. Just all of this is all God's fault and so forth. So what he does is he creates a perfect environment for a thousand years. And at the end of that time period, as soon as man is given the opportunity, because the heart, as Jeremiah said, is desperately wicked, it's incurable, immediately man rebels against God. And then it incinerates, it disappears, and he creates a new heavens and a new earth. But before that, he has to clean up the old stuff. You see, in the beginning, God knew that we would fall. Tells us the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. So God knew before he created the problem of sin. But God created man for fellowship. It said he fellowshiped with Adam in the cool of the day. Adam was created in his image. He was an image bearer. He was genius. He, the day he woke up and was created, he was programmed by Almighty God. He was genius. But God had to give him free will. People resent the fact that God is in charge, that there's accountability. But for God to have fellowship, for it to be genuine, he had to give man a free will. Kathy and I have raised four kids. It wouldn't have been right if they were little androids, little robots programmed, I love you, Daddy, I love you, Daddy. That wouldn't have been in. It wouldn't have been anything. You know, maybe here and there, if we could have pushed a button and they'd done it just for a day, it would have been all right. But, you know, <laughs> if they were programmed, didn't have a choice to love us, there was no genuine fellowship. What would it have meant? So he gives mankind choice so that love can be genuine. Man chooses the wrong direction as the deceiver who we see here comes because Satan himself, Lucifer, had been the leading cherub, Ezekiel 28, and he led worship in heaven. He was as close to God as any of the other cherubim. And it describes in Ezekiel 28, in Eden, in his unfallen state, for you gap theory folks, there ain't none. It's a good word for it, the gap theory. Because you have Lucifer unfallen in Eden. And then the old deceiver is self-deceived initially because he says, no doubt looking at Adam, I will be like the Most High. The only one like the Most High was Adam. He was creating his image and likeness. I'll be like the Most High. I'll sit on the congregation of the North. I'm going to do this. Five times he says, I will. He falls. Over 100 years later, as God inspires Ezekiel in Ezekiel 28, five times God says, oh yeah, well, I will, I will five times. He answers his five wills, I wills. So when Lucifer falls, he hates man. 
He hates man today. That's why the blood of so many people is running into the sand across this planet while Lucifer is laughing. Image bearers. First thing he does is he goes to Adam and Eve with the same lie he fell, said you can be like the most high. First thing he went with them. And he tempted. Hath God said? He knows in the day that you eat, you're going to be like him. The first thing we hear from the devil in the scripture is he slanders God. First time we hear his voice. He don't want you to be like him. He don't want you to have the freedom he has. He don't want you to know what he knows. He's holding out on you. What kind of God is this? You know, just that's the first time we hear his voice. Second time we hear his voice in the Bible, he's slandering man to God. The first chapter of Job. He says to God, are you kidding me? Sure he serves you. You don't mess with him. You prosper him. You give him everything he wants. Touch the man and you'll see what he's made of. He'll turn and he'll curse you. And then God gives him permission to tempt him, of course. You know the story of Job. The third time we hear his voice in the Bible, he has a problem. Because he's facing the God-man. There's nobody else. God and man in one person. And wonderfully, as he tempts Jesus, he doesn't say, if you're the Son of God. He says, since you're the Son of God, turn these stones to bread. And Jesus answers for you and I, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Satan, I don't have to be deity to defeat you. I just need to be a man filled with the spirit, submitted to the word of God. That's where we are today. That's what we need. But the deceiver is at work. Look, it isn't just because he's a spiritual being, he's a deceiver. We're surrounded with angels. We don't see them, but they say they're ministering spirits sent forth to minister to the heirs of salvation. When I was a kid, five years old, for about 20 minutes, I watched three angels. God allowed that to happen in my life. Don't know why. Didn't really think of it much till I got saved. We believe they're there because the scripture says they're there. Satan is there as well, unseen. And we believe he's there because the scripture says he's there. The problem with the unsaved world is they don't believe anything unless they understand it. Now, of course, the interesting thing is these days we can put weaponry on the battlefield that you can't see, though it's sitting right in front of you. So if we can understand it, we acknowledge it. There is a spiritual realm. And this old deceiver has hated mankind for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And he is still deceiving today. And he still wants to tell us God is holding out. Why is your kid sick? Why are you in this terrible situation? If God's a God of love, why is this going on? And he directly wants to attack the gospel the death of Christ for us, because he's always going to come, condemnations from the devil. He's always going to come and tell you, you don't love you, man. What you did yesterday, what you did last night, what you're thinking in your head, he don't love you. He's always going to demean the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. He's always going to demean the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he's always going to demean the return of Jesus Christ. All of these kooky people that have all of these kooky prophecies and they say Jesus is coming, sell your house and give me the money and all this stuff. 
that's so, the, the enemy loves that, then everybody sits around and says, oh, why should we even believe in this? Listen to these scruples, even Christians. I gave this guy my money, he took it, and, you know, and, he, and nothing happened, now he died, I can't get my lawyer to get my money back, you know, whatever. You know, the enemy's always attacking the return of Christ as well. And we have the picture of him in these verses, and it's his demise. The deceiver will be gone by the time we get to verse 10. And he's never mentioned again. It's the last time he's mentioned in the Bible. Gone. How's that sound? I like that, don't you? He's gone. Tells us this. When the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Interesting, that word expired there is used in verse 3 where it says when the thousand years should be fulfilled. That's our word, expired. And then it says down in verse 5, but the rest of the dead lived not till the thousand years were finished. That's our word, expired. All three places it's teleo. And the idea of it is the days are completed or the days have fulfilled their goal. In other words, the thousand years is not arbitrary. The thousand years is deliberate, and it comes to the point when those thousand years have fulfilled their goal. They've done, and it says when that happens, Satan will be loosed, doesn't escape. It's in the passive, he will be loosed. It's not his own strength. He does not and puff and blow the doors down. It's predicted and it's prophesied, which tells us that it's all under control. It's all under God's sovereignty. He has purpose in releasing him again for a short time. And it says he's released from his prison. Now, he ain't happy. He just served the longest prison term in the history of the universe. Thousand years in a little cell in solitary, no company, no food. And for a thousand years, he's been planning his revenge. When he comes out of there, he bursts out of there like a lion. You know, he is so angry. And we don't know coming out, does he know that his time is short, so he's just going to take as many image bearers with him as possible? Does he really think again that he might defeat Christ? We're not told he's insane, brilliant. We're no match for him. But our dad can beat their dad. That's all that matters. And it says when he's released, he shall go out and deceive. Here's our word. He deceived Eve. It says up in verse 3, he had deceived the nations. It says now when he goes out, he will deceive the nations again. And, and then it tells us in verse 10 that the devil that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire. So deception. And again, we have to be aware of that. He's in, in our marriages. He's going to tell us if we do what God says in our homes, in our businesses. There's deception. There's the word of God, the Holy Spirit, our Savior. Then there's deception. It says here, he goes up and he leads the nations, look at that, plural, to deceive the nations, plural, 
which which are in the four corners that they're spread over the entire planet, Gog and Magog, to gather them together, notice, to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea, innumerable. So what happens, look, when the, when the millennium begins, the only humans in human form, we're in our glorified form then, the only humans in physical form that enter into the millennium are born again. There are only believers that enter into the millennium in human flesh. And you can imagine what that's going to be like at the beginning. Imagine if everybody around us was born again. Imagine if every newscaster was born again. Imagine if the, you know, the president, the vice president, the cabinet, the Congress, the Senate, the Supreme Court, you know, all the mayors, all the governors. Imagine if everybody was born again. Wow, is right. You know, imagine everybody in Russia, everybody in South America, everybody in Asia. You know, as it begins, because if the sun goes out and the moon goes out and you see Jesus Christ coming through the heavens with power and great glory and the armies of heaven behind him on white horses and he comes down and throws the Antichrist and the false prophet into hell and he binds Satan for a thousand years. If you see that, you're a believer. Okay. And it tells us in Matthew 25, the goats are cast into fire. They're separated. So, but this is what happens. So you, you go into the millennium, it's all believers. Those first years must be incredible. And no doubt mankind is going to fulfill what God has said to Adam. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. You have a thousand years. Again, just imagine what that will be like. Children born, children born, and the grandparents and the parents talking to their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, their great-great-grandchildren, their great-great-great-grandchildren, their great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren, because you're living for 900 years, you know, and and they're hearing stories of war, hatred, Jesus beaten and mauled and nailed to a cross. Armageddon? They're hearing all these things. And what happens as the generations go on, there starts to be an anti-gospel hardness. We can see it in one generation in our church. How many of our kids go out, they're drinking, goofing off, do you know, doing they think the world has something. We pray for those prodigals to come back. But in one generation they develop a hardness against the gospel. People forget quickly. And it's the same now. Look, I'm old, but I ain't that old. When I was a kid, communism was bad. Socialism was bad. In one generation, it's good. We've lost our minds. And anybody who once can rule over us, as long as they let us exercise whatever moral freedom we want to exercise and tell us it's fine and it's good and there's nothing wrong. Take away our freedom, just let us rebel against God in the rest of our lives, and that's freedom. We're happy. In one generation. So it's no wonder these succeeding generations, you know, Armageddon, yeah, your great grandmother told me. Who knows whether the heck or that really happened or not? You know, just you can imagine as generations go on. And then you have multitudes not saved. The deceiver goes. 
And he gathers this war. This is the war that ends all wars. This is the last confrontation. Troops innumerable. Human nature the same. People with fallen natures entering into this. It proves that mankind needs a righteousness from without himself. It proves that conditions that are perfect don't lead to repentance. Look, many of us here today came through drugs, came through abusive homes, came through sexual abuse, came through terrible circumstances, but those circumstances led us to Christ. I would rather be have the snot beat out of me in this world and get saved than to be a Rockefeller with a silver spoon in my mouth and not know Jesus when I die. And here's the proof of a perfect environment for a thousand years and multitudes never turned to Jesus. You and I may be a little bit battered, a little bit scarred, a little bit beat up, but our glorified body is going to be great. And so often it's our hardship and our brokenheartedness that's brought us to Christ. Perfect environment, all of this. Satan goes out to deceive, remarkable, getting these generations with him. Now, it says here Gog and Magog. So there are many then who confuse this with Ezekiel 38 and 39. Magog first mentioned in Genesis 10, the table of nations. Magog was one of the nations. In Ezekiel 38 and 39, Gog and Magog are enemies of the Lord and attack God's people, Israel. Doesn't mention Jerusalem, doesn't mention, it's not any of that. And it mentions this character Gog of the land of Magog. Magog is the land of Gog. Odog, Odog, half turtle and half frog. Somehow this gets in my mind when I say Gog. I had kids. Um, how can Gog be back? People are, then they confuse this with Ezekiel 38 and 39. Look. When you read Ezekiel 38, it, uh, it calls him, it says there is Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Tubal and Meshech, Meshech and Tubal, the chief prince. But the Hebrew, Jacinius, uh, you go through him, Kylan, Delich, any of these scholars, the Hebrew chief there. It's like Rosh Hashanah, it's the word Rush from Rosh Hashanah, it means the head. It's not an adjective there, it's a proper noun. So it should say the prince of chief, but it's the prince of Rush, Russia, Meshach and Tubal. So Gog seems to be, because the Lord puts hooks in his jaws and brings him out of the north, a principality in power. Daniel chapter 10, we meet there the prince of Greece the prince of Persia, Michael the archangel, has to go and face them. Prince of Greece ain't until 200 years after Daniel 10. But, you know, you have the prince of Greece, the prince of Persia, which were fallen angels, principalities and powers. Gog, the, the land of Magog, the prince of Rush, evidently bound for a thousand years with Satan and then is loose with other principalities and powers. And it seems... His responsibility, because of what he did before, is to gather all of the nations against 
Israel. And it says here they are gathered to battle. This is people that never learned the art of war. They had beat their plowshares and their pruning hooks and their spears and so forth and agricultural instruments. And now it says they're gathered to do battle. And how do they learn the art of war? The old deceiver is back. It doesn't tell us, we, all we know is this happens after the thousand years. Does it take five years to materialize after Satan's loose? Does it take 10 years? Does it take 20? We don't know that. It seems to happen quickly. The technology available must be incredible because of longevity. You know, the, the fall has been pushed back largely. Agriculture, the things we're hearing about during that time are incredible so the technology during this period must be amazing. So whatever the time period is, the enemy with other principalities that are set loose, like Revelation 16, go out and gather the nations, the people that are just tired of this king, telling them what to do and giving them rules and regulations, gather them to come and make war against the Lord, against the saints, it says here, he gathers them together to battle. This is the war to end all wars. Armageddon pales compared to this in one sense. This is a generation that never learned the art of war. They're gathered, and it says the number is as the sand of the sea, innumerable. John just says that, like the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth, covering the earth and they compassed they surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city so look if you're confused about this in Ezekiel the invasion comes from the north in Revelation 20 it comes from the four corners of the earth and surrounds Jerusalem in Ezekiel it's Gog, the prince of Rush, that's in charge of it. In Revelation 20, it's Satan himself who's involved. In Ezekiel, it says, they say, are you come to take a spoil? In Revelation, it's to destroy Jerusalem in the reign of Christ. In Ezekiel, there's so many dead, they have to hire people for seven months to clean up the dead bodies. And then it says they burn the weapons for seven years. In this incident, fire comes down from heaven. The earth and the, he the heaven is renovated. The, the he heaven and the earth flee away. There has to be this cleansing before the new heaven and the new earth. They're, they're, you can't put those together. They're, they're two different set of circumstances that take place. So it, it says here now, this battle, they come and they surround. They're covering the breadth of the earth they can pass, which is surround, and it says about, number one, the camp of the saints and the beloved city. Camp of the saints, sometimes that means citadel, sometimes it means military headquarters, but there's no armies, there's no war. The camp of the saints seems to be, to me, immortal saints, you and I, in our glorified bodies who have been ruling and reigning with Christ around the world, we know the prophecies. We know what's happening as the enemy is gathering armies. It, says, it seems that all of the saints, including you and I, us, we're going to be there. 
We're going to come to Jerusalem where the king is. It seems like all of Israel that are believers gather to Jerusalem, that city. It seems like, you know, there's enough time for people in other countries that are believers, the saints, to gather there in Jerusalem. And it calls it the beloved city. It's so interesting. As we study through the book of Revelation, it never uses the word Jerusalem when it talks about the earthly city. It's called the great city. It's called the beloved city. It's called the holy city. The only time we hear the word Jerusalem twice speaks of the new Jerusalem coming down from above. Jerusalem, the city of peace. These armies come. They surround the camp of the saints. We're all gathered there. Immortals, mortals, the saints are gathered. There's no angel there to help this time. Not a shot fired. There's no war. The enemy intended on a battle. It never happens. And it says fire comes down from heaven, from God, and devours them. There's ashes. That's all there is. In an instant, all of the souls of those multitudes are instantly in Hades, awaiting the great white throne, how, how that seems to happen very quickly. And it's over like that. Heaven and earth flee away. They're gone. Burn up. You know, it tells us this in Malachi. It says, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven. All the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Wonderfully, Peter will tell us this. um, And he speaks of the day of the Lord. Look, the day of the Lord is not a day. Because he says, with the Lord, a day is as a thousand years. Coincidence, I'm sure. The day of the Lord begins at the rapture. When the Lord takes control of human history again, it goes all the way through the millennium into that eternal period with the new heavens and the new earth. But Peter says, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years And a thousand years as one day, the day of the Lord. And the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, the heart of God. But the day of the Lord, a thousand years, will come, as a thief in the night begins with the rapture, In the which, in the context of that day, the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation, living a holy lifestyle and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire 
shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Man, Peter hit the nail on the head. But his challenge is, do you believe this? Now, believe, you know, Satan, this is one of the things he, he wants to make into a myth. This is one of the things he, he wants to tell us. No, no, if there's globalism, if everybody gets on the same page, if everybody does this, then we'll all get along. It ain't never going to happen. You can't even get your family to get along sometimes, right? He tells this, this, this whole thing. You know, no, no. The truth is Jesus has to come. If we could do this ourselves, Christ's return would be unnecessary. Because iniquity shall abound and the love of many shall grow cold. Christ is going to return. And because you and I believe that, that's our hope. That's the blessed hope. It's a hope the world doesn't have. He says, if you say you really believe that, then how should you be living your life? Look, this is not just for you. It's for me to take inventory. In my own life, am I the man, Christian man I should be? Am I the Christian husband I should be? Am I the Christian father I should be? The Christian grandfather I should be? Am I the pastor I should be? All of those have nah next to them. I'm, I'm still being conformed into his image and likeness. But the challenge is, and you should feel this. The more we see what's going on around us in the world, the more we see the day of the Lord hastening and coming the more we should do some type of introspection. We're not legalists. We're saved by grace. But the more we should be saying, Lord, I, I, I want to do this. I want to run this last mile with all my might. I want to run this last lap the right way. I want to do this, Lord Jesus. I want to be living so when you come, my head can be lifted up and I can be looking for. I want to look forward to your coming. I want to be able to pray, come quickly. I don't want to pray just if you could. Put it off a little bit. Got some things I need to straighten out here. You know, you know, if you're praying that, I'm praying against you. Okay. I'm hoping that God will listen to Pastor Joe more than he's going to listen to you. You know, I'm, I'm praying. I'm just joking. <clears throat> it's only by the blood any of us can go. But you know, we should be living so that we can really embrace that. Peter says that because it's all going to be burned up. It's all going to disappear. It's all going to go. And that's necessary for that all to be cleansed so there can be a new heavens and a new earth. He tells us that here. He says, they surrounded the camp of the saints, that beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. That's it. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are not were are and shall be tormented day and night forever and forever this is the last time the devil appears in that verse in the bible the great deceiver gone this is the ultimate crushing, bruising of the head from Genesis 3.15. Thou shalt wound his heel, he shall crush your head. 
you know, John 5.21, Jesus says, all judgment has been given to me. And this is the ultimate blow. He's taken down. He's gone. This is a literal place. We, you know, of course, we don't understand. How can literal fire torment non-physical bodies? I don't know. But that my, that's not my department. That's above my pay grade. Right? The Lord's set it up so it says they're tormented forever and forever. Day and night. In biblical idiom, that means without end. Without end. It's a place of outer darkness, Matthew 8, Matthew 13, Matthew 22, Luke 13. It's a place where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched, Mark chapter 9. There's no annihilation here. The beast and the false prophet have been there a thousand years. And when Lucifer is cast in, it says, to the place where the beast and the false prophet, the language demands are. It's in italics here, but the language demands it. This is where they are, not where they were. They weren't burned up and disappeared. They are still there. Hell is a place of torment, not of annihilation, not of non-existent, but of continued existence under the wrath of God. Necessary before a new heavens and a new earth are instituted. The next verse is going to tell us there's a great white throne, the heaven and the earth flee away, rolled up like a scroll, Isaiah says, no longer exists. Heaven and the earth, no stars, no planets, no space, no heavens. We're back to where we were before God said in the beginning he created the heavens and the earth. We're back to nothing except the great white throne. Next week, if, if we don't get raptured in the meantime, that's what we'll be next week. So read ahead. Please read ahead. Um, but how's that sound to you? The, the deceiver is gone. Deceiver is gone. I hope that sounds good to you because I feel like he's been not happy about this sermon all week and, uh, and will not leave me alone tomorrow. So pray for me, please. But, you know, the enemy gone. The deceiver gone. Lies gone. Hatred gone. Mocking Christ gone. Imagine what this is going to be like. Just imagine. And we're going to be there. We're going to be there. You can say to people, okay, watch, see see them surround you. You don't have to worry. You can say to humans, we'll be ruling and reigning. Okay, no, no, look. Go back and look at this chapter. Here's, here's Revelation 20. This is what's going to happen now. Is they're surrounding, innumerable, unimaginable, with technology you can hardly... There's, just watch this. Right? We're going to be there. question is, how do we live now if we really believe that? If our blessed hope hangs right in front of us. If the new heavens and a new earth are in front of us. If that's our destiny, then that's what became ours at the cost of of heaven, the blood of God's dear son, the resurrection, the return. How then should we live, Peter says? How should we be conducting ourselves? If we tell the unsaved world around us, hey man, I believe Jesus can come in any minute. How about you, you know? Uh, or hey, <clears throat> the Lord's coming any, come any day, you know? Or, you know, just, can, can we, you know, how should we live if we really believe this? 
St. Francis, preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. You're the salt of the earth. Salt is tasted. It's not heard. You're the light of the world. Light is seen. It's not heard. How should we live our lives? What should we be demonstrating if we really believe these things? Amen? Amen. The great thing is we can all talk about it on the other side. We's all going to be there and about 30 years old forever. Uh, and and with with a 30-year-old body, we haven't even dreamed of it. I'm just, you know, the, the new model is the upgrade is going to be something. I just came. And I believe that. I don't care if people think I'm crazy. I really don't care. I believe Jesus is coming. I believe he's coming for us because he loves us. Might go to prison before he comes for that, but I believe it. I ain't let go of it. I hope some good cooks get locked up at the same time. That's all. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Look, if you're here and you don't know him, you can leave here thinking one of two things. They are out of their minds. They need to get rid of the pastor and get a psychiatrist. Or you can leave here thinking, I'm in a heap of trouble. You don't have to leave here thinking that. You can give your life to Jesus Christ before you leave. Jesus beckons us to accept him, to come to him. Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest for your souls. Does your soul have rest? Are you under condemnation of your sin? Are you able to take a deep breath and know everything's forgiven, that if you get in a car wreck on the way home, you're going straight to heaven? Or is all of that uncertain? You're still in your sin. You've never asked forgiveness of Almighty God. You can do that today. And I'd encourage you to do that before you, before you leave. Look, we're going to sing a last song. We're going to lift our hearts to the Lord. We're his sons and daughters. We're going to ask him to work in our lives because that has to happen. But if you've never asked him that and you want to ask him the first time, I'm going to ask you as we're worshiping to get out of your seat and come down and stand right here, right in front of everybody. And standing here in front of everybody, you're going to be saying, I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. I want that to happen today. I'm willing to turn from my sin and turn to Jesus Christ for, for forgiveness and eternal life. And Jesus said, if you will confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven and before all the holy angels. What a day. It says all of heaven rejoices when one sinner comes. Because that is an eternity that just changed. An eternity. It's immeasurable. So let's sing this last song together. Please, I encourage you, if you've never come to Christ, do it now. Do it now. You come. We're your family. If you, if you make that decision today, we're your family. We would love to walk alongside of you. Love to give you a Bible. You come forward, some literature to read. But let's pray. Father, I know you've overheard. We look to you. We pray in this last song our hearts could rise before you, Lord. You'd hear us. I pray that our voices rising, our hearts rising would be a blessing to you, Lord, from Philmont Avenue here in the middle of this crazy, crazy world, that whatever amount of light is shining here would be a blessing to you, Lord. And we do pray for those who may be among us, Lord, that have never come, and they're listening to all this, and probably all this sounds so crazy, but in their hearts, they're thinking, is this true? Do I really have to deal with this? Lord, by your love, would you draw them today? You add to the church daily. Lord, such as be, should be saved is not our work. 
We put this all before you, Lord. Draw those whom are lost, who you love so deeply today, and let our praise rise before you. We pray, Lord Jesus, in your name and for your glory. Amen.